Hello, and welcome to The Weekend Starts on Wednesday. Welcome back to another episode of The Weekend Starts on Wednesday. My name is Patrick Arias, and it is my pleasure to be your tour guide as we break down and discuss this weekend's sports picks and bold predictions. Tonight, we are down a man, but the three of us will prevail. I am joined by Andres, the Cavalier King, and Bryant, first prize, Flores. Tonight, Mr. Champagne Chauncey is unavailable. He is taking care of some family matters like the good family man that he is. But the main headlines for tonight are the Dodgers and Astros are on life support. Will Georgia roll over the Crimson Tide? Lomachenko boxing match Saturday night might be a little bit closer than people think. Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady go at it Sunday afternoon. And can the Niners get back on track against the Rams? Patrick Mahomes has the spotlight Monday night against the Buffalo Bills. We're going to get into all this after a quick message from our sponsor. All right, so... With the weekend starts on Wednesday being somewhat of a betting show, we watch a lot of sports, we ingest the sports, we enjoy them, but at the end of the day, if we're not making money off of them, it's just not that sweet. It is sweet when your favorite team wins, don't get me wrong, but sometimes when you have money on a team or a specific situation, game, fighter, horse, whatever it may be, just makes it that much sweeter. And this gets me to my headline. I called that shit. <laughs> August August 2019, I'm in Vegas. I'm feeling good. You know, the Lakers already had LeBron James. The Anthony Davis thing had just happened. They only had AD, LeBron, and Kuzma on the team at that time. And there were so many pundits like your boy Colin Cowherd, Pat, that we just love to bash on this show, just saying the Lakers had no chance. Granted, Vegas did believe they had a chance because they and the Clippers at the time were the two favorites at three to one odds. But I decided to go put some money on three to one return for the Lakers to win the title. Mm. And sure enough, what happened this Sunday and honestly, there was no doubt about it going into even the last series. I made some good money betting, risking a lot on the Lakers to beat the Rockets and the Nuggets because I knew it was for sure. Their only competition was the Clippers and obviously the Bucks had a, a pretty good you know, odds going in as well compared to everybody else. But when both of those teams got knocked off, it just seemed like it, it's it's you're cruising to the title at that point so I made some good money off of the Lakers winning the title I'm not a Lakers fan I hated as soon as the Lakers won just seeing so many people <laughs> here in LA just completely pumping their chest getting their feathers up like a peacock and acting like they knew this was going to happen the whole time 
a lot of my friends on group text kept telling me to stop talking because I was so confident about the Lakers winning and they were they were like Pat. Pat gets really scared about talking about his bets and about his team because he thinks if you talk about it, you're going to jinx it. But no, it was it was a given that the Lakers were going to win this title. To me, it was from the get-go. Because you give LeBron somebody like AD, it doesn't matter what you surround him with. He's going to make it happen, and he proved that again. It's just like Tom Brady. People are waiting for him to fall off, for his skills to take a, a, a big jump off a cliff, and for... TB12, it seems to be happening this year a little bit. Granted, he's with a different team, but will LeBron, I mean, as much as he looked slow at some points in the playoffs, he still proved it when it mattered. That's why he ended up winning the finals MVP. And on top of that, what I also want to throw in is that last year, going into the playoffs, once I saw the Nationals and what they were doing to the Dodgers, and I saw Strasburg doing what he was doing, Scherzer doing what he was doing, I put money on them to win the World Series. Sure enough, after seven games with the Astros, they won that. The 49ers all last season, I was talking about them going to the Super Bowl even early on because of the team that they had and the line that they had and the defense and Jimmy G, even though now I hate his absolute gut Mm -hmm. at that time, he was a winner. He wasn't losing. So the last couple of championships, even though the 49ers did blow it in the fourth quarter, I feel that I've had a pretty good eye as to who's going to win, and I'm glad that it paid off with the Lakers. What did you guys think about the finals? Did you guys have money on them? What are your guys' thoughts? You go first, Andres. Um, I, I had money on the finals. Of course I had. I'm a fucking degenerate. I took the Lakers, clearly. Um... What's there to say? They should have fucking swept, but I did make my money back on the last game, so I knew it was going to be a blowout. I just didn't think it was going to be that big of a blowout, but hey, I'll take it. Uh, so congratulations, Flores, on your year-ago uh, prediction. I'm going to call you Flores Damas on that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, look, um, Niners, I, I, I've been telling everybody about fucking Jimmy G, and no one believed me, and I'm always a harsh critic and an asshole, but... I'm glad to see another Niners fan seeing the writing on the wall, and I think his time is done in, in Niner Nation. So, <clears throat> Pat, do you have any uh, well, just, any skin on the game? Um, the Lakers, I did. I I'm very cautious about betting on my teams. Um, I did do a Lakers Dodgers parlay one of the nights that hit. It was like even money, so it was like fifty for fifty. Um, but other than that. I didn't really feel the need to bet on the Lakers because I'm a Lakers fan, so I already had a lot riding on it. Um, And speaking of Lakers fans, my grandma is the oldest Lakers fan that I know, obviously, because she's my grandma. And um, you guys, she actually hated LeBron James. She couldn't stand LeBron James. She didn't like him. Years ago, she didn't like him. And it was because she's a Kobe protector. You know, she's very protective of her Kobe and she didn't like him. So who, who do you think is the first person I called um, when the Lakers won? I, I called my grandma and I said, hey, you know, what do you think? You know, tell me, tell me about what you think about this. How do, how do you feel? And she's like, I'm very happy the Lakers won. And her takeaway, my grandma's hot take was she's very impressed with the Lakers coaching staff. Uh, she didn't recognize Frank, Frank Vogel. Um, I mean, the, the lit basketball fans, diehard basketball fans know who Frank Vogel is. But my grandma had no idea that he, you know, came from the Pacers and all that. So she was very impressed with him because she said that that was 
his first time in the finals and uh, she was right. And she was very impressed with LeBron James, uh, the way he distributed the basketball and the way he played as a team player. Um, so her argument this whole time was that she didn't like LeBron James. She thought he was very into himself. I mean, he still is, but the man had a great finals. He averaged almost 10 assists. So he was getting everybody involved and it was a great team victory. And it gives me strength, uh, not strength. It gives me faith that they're going to come back next year and do more damage. And I'm very happy to see the Warriors coming back to get healthy. I'm very happy to see the Nets going to get Kevin Durant and Kyrie back. I want to see the Lakers play against these teams. I don't want, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy they won the championship, but I don't want the haters talking shit saying that it was a, you know, a half-assed championship. I want them to beat good teams next year. And I know Kobe's happy. I know he's smiling down on the Lakers, but you know, if we all know Kobe, if we all think we know Kobe the way we do, he wants them to win one more. And I think that's true Mamba mentality, winning back to back. Uh, Andres, what is your hero or headline? Um, so my heroes are actually it's gonna be a memorial. Last week we celebrated the life of um, God, Pat Amiyahu. What did we celebrate last week? Wait, Andres, are those fireworks going off in your neighborhood? Yeah, they're still celebrating the Lakers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what that was. Yeah, and last, week, last, week, I, last week, I think it was Gibson. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Thank you. It was Bob Gibson. Yeah, I got. I, I heard uh, popping in the sound, and then I was counting. I was like, gunshots? No, there's too many. So I was like, oh, fireworks. So, um, yeah, we, we celebrated Bob Gibson last week. Uh, this week, we lost uh, two great ones in baseball, Hall of Famers. One was Whitey Ford. He passed away. The great pitcher, the greatest pitcher in World Series history. That man was a stud. He went, he's the most winningest pitcher in World Series history for the former Yankee. Um, he has 10, sorry, let me look at his stats. Uh, six-time World Series champion, 10-time All-Star. Spent his whole year career at New York. Uh, the man threw for... That's a shitty one. Um, sorry, he went for 33 consecutive scoreless innings. He has the most shutouts in Yankee history. Um, he has 22 victories in the World Series. Could you imagine 22 victories in the World Series? Yeah. Or is, we're talking about pitching, but like 22 victories in the World Series, that means, like you're unstoppable. And I think his record the 33 straight scoreless innings was, I think it was broken by the Bulldog, by Oral Hershiser, too, with the Dodgers. It, so it was. It that, 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 yeah. yeah, that didn't happen until, like, 88, but yeah. Yeah, um, and it took forever to break that record, so shout out to YG Ford for that. Yeah, for sure. And then the last one, or the, the one after, was uh, Joe Morgan. The great Joe Morgan, if anybody ever saw Sunday Night Baseball, he was uh, the voice and commentator for many years at ESPN, but prior to his Hall of Fame uh, broadcasting career, he was a hell of a second baseman. I mean, a big force in the 70s and 80s, a uh, big red machine when the Cincinnati Reds, when they had him and uh, Pete Rose and all those guys. So we definitely was, used to kill the Dodgers in the postseason. This guy is a Hall of Famer, second baseman. I mean, what's there to say? This guy won... 10-time All-Star, five gold gloves, two-time NL Most Valuable Player. And I've, if I remember correctly, he is 11th in stolen bases, which mm. nobody 
doesn't I don't think that happens anymore with stealing bases. But um, yeah, I mean the guy was a stud. So you know we lost two greats, and that's just what happens. And floors off. We were talking prior and off the air that it's kind of crazy that all these guys are just dropping like flies, unfortunately. So. Um, but if anybody wants a true baseball fan or someone who appreciates the game, these guys were studs in their time and uh, they set and were role models and standards for all those younger kids. So I just want to give a lot of shout out to both of those Hall of Famers on both us. Yeah, and obviously with Whitey Ford, very recognizable name. You know, there's a rapper Everlast that took on that moniker, um, you know, like 10, 15 years ago. Whitey Ford, so he he's a very legendary guy. He's kind of, he came out in a Simpsons episode where Mr. Burns wins a car at a baseball game, and all the fans get really mad and start throwing pretzels on the field. And Whitey Ford comes out and tries to calm everybody down, <laughs> and ends up getting hit by so many pretzels that he's on the floor laid out. And the announcers are like, "Oh God!" And Whitey Ford has been knocked unconscious. So shout out Whitey Ford, but. Joe Morgan specifically, anybody who grew up like myself in the 90s, early 2000s, being a baseball fan, the only show that you watched was Baseball Tonight. Mm -hmm. Every night, it was on all through the summer. It was the go-to show. Not as much nowadays because football has gotten so big. You know, basketball obviously as well. And just baseball has kind of taken a step down to step back compared to some of these sports but in the 90s early 2000s Joe Morgan to me and it's crazy sometimes now seeing a lot of the athletes that we grew up with being in announcer roles being in broadcaster roles analyst roles and for example I never knew growing up the history and how good he had been the team he came from all that stuff I just knew he was the greatest announcer and a guy that when I heard his voice I knew, holy shit, let's start paying attention to this show on ESPN right now because I'm about to see the top plays of the day or whatever it may be, the home runs of the day because they always used to switch it up every year. So Whitey Ford, rest in peace. But even more so, Joe Morgan to me was somebody that introduced me to baseball a lot more than a lot of people did because of him being on baseball tonight. So rest in peace, Joe Morgan. You were definitely appreciated and you'll be missed, man. Yeah, and um, I have I have a headline. I don't have any heroes this week because I didn't really win in my fantasy lineups, so there's nobody to recognize. But one headline is Dak goes down in Dallas. And um, I wish Romo was right. I wish it was just a cramp. Uh, speaking of athletes who became broadcasters, but Tony Romo, you were completely wrong. Uh, he did not have a cramp. He his foot like almost fell off from, from what I can see. His ankle was like poking through the, the pants or the socks or whatever. But Dak goes down in Dallas and um, he's got a compound fracture. Surgery was successful and he'll be back next season. Uh, the Cowboys will also be back next season. And to be honest, let's see what Andy Dalton can do. I, I know that the NFC East is winnable. Andy Dalton might win one playoff game. So I don't know if much is being compromised by, by Dak going down, but I could be completely wrong. I know Dak was leading the league in passing yards. So I I, I don't know. I, I, I'm i sad that he got hurt. I wish it was different. You know, maybe they had 
I wish we would have found out what Andy Dalton can do under different circumstances. Uh, Andres, does that make sense? Yeah, uh, it does. I mean, it's really a tough break for Dak Prescott. I mean, when I saw when I saw the replay and, and it happened, uh, yeah, you're right, Pat. That was not a cramp, and Tony Romo should get, definitely get his eyes checked because that was <laughs> gruesome. It's going to take a long, long time from the to heal, and I'm, you know, I hope he gets the speed of recovery. But yeah, it's definitely not something that I wanted Andy Dalton to like get or to. It's just the wrong way of think of doing it or getting it. But I, I'm not going to lie, I kind of said that Andy Dalton's team, was, it was going to be him at the end of the day. I just didn't think it was going to be because of a, a gruesome injury. Um, but hey, they look good. Andy Dalton looks good. You, uh, you called that shit, then, huh? Well, yeah, I just didn't, I never wish bad on anybody to fucking break, you know, break their careers, but uh, only when I'm betting, but definitely not towards Dak. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> hey, Flores. Yeah, I don't, you know... Um, <laughs> Flores, is is he in line for another franchise tag because of this injury? Uh, I definitely don't think he's in line for another franchise tag. He, he'd be lucky to get 10 to 15 million next year. He might be in the Cam Newton talks, the 1 to 2 million, and who knows if the Cowboys even go with him again uh, for next season, just because you don't know what you're going to get. And it's just, you see these players, athletes, sometimes more so in the NFL than anything, just hold out for money and Mm -hmm. don't want to play and things like that. And now you see why. And there's a lot of people on one side of the argument that, hey, Dak, you cost yourself all this money. You could have been getting 30 million a year or whatever it was for the next three, four, five years, but you wanted to shoot for 40 million an hour. You're probably not going to ever get that. Let's be honest. But at the same time, you just got to feel for the guy. And as much as, hey, it might have made sense to do that, it's very rare that an injury like this happens. So sometimes just go bet on yourself. Joe Flacco being a good example of that, winning a Super Bowl, getting the paycheck. But uh, you just hate to see it. If I were the 49ers, I would absolutely love for them to cut Mm. Jimmy G, this offseason, they'll only take like a, I think a one to two million dollar hit for cutting Jimmy G and bringing Dak no matter what it costs. But again, I just don't see the Cowboys letting him go, but I can't see them paying him anywhere near the franchise tag of 35, 30 million. So I, I just don't know what's going to happen with that, especially if Andy Dalton turns things around. Or even better, if Andy Dalton doesn't turn things around and all of a sudden they end up with a top five, top ten pick and they can get a top QB. So a lot of things still to happen. At least the surgery went well, supposedly according to the doctors and the reports, but just an awful thing to see. And also a Colombian star defender this same week went down with the same gruesome, twisted ankle, completely dislocated injury and it just it's crazy because i was just shocked all the colombian players all the soccer community was posting about his injury and then a couple days later you see Dak go down with the exact same thing shout out to santiago arias to the colombian defender on you know he was with uh atletico madrid he was on loan i think to like a turkish team right now but just sucks to see these athletes go down with that injury man i've had an ankle injury 
more of a sprain than a break like that, so I know it fucking sucks, but man, just, you gotta feel for Dak. Hey, hey, real quick, how crazy that Dak goes down the same day Alex Smith comes back? <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just thought that it was, I mean, it's like, it's like Halloween and shit, and we're in October, I just thought that was freaky as fuck. <laughs> that was freaky, and um, those are last week's Heroes and headlines. Hey guys, uh, real quick, Jimmy brought the stats. I made a mistake about Whitey Ford's um, stats in the World Series. I said that he had won 22 games in the World Series. Uh, I misspoke. He pitched in 22 World Series games and won 10. So, just a quick clarification. I know there's some diehard Yankees fans that are probably screaming their heads off. Like, no, you idiot. He pitched in 22 and won 10. And I'm like, all right, I got to fix that. So, thanks, Jimmy. Um, look, you like it, we love it. We got a hell of a game coming for you. I'm really surprised uh, by a person, a specific person that picked this game. I didn't think I'd hear him speak one ounce of European soccer, let alone international, because he's living life in South South, uh, South America. Flores, <laughs> you love this Italy-Netherlands game. I want to know why we are watching this, why you're picking this, why you love this. And it's just, it, it's soccer season right now. You have all the, well, at least with the Conmebol, like you said, the South American soccer. We have a bunch of World Cup qualifiers going on. We have a bunch of friendlies going on. I know you said that Mexico friendlies nobody gives a shit about, but social media says otherwise because <laughs> they're still posting about it like crazy, even though the Dodgers and the Lakers pretty much have everything to do with this week. But... When it comes to the UEFA Nations League, they're in the group stages. It's essentially the UEFA Champions League, but for the nations, for the country. And as much as I love South American soccer because it's as close as it gets, it's not the SEC. And what I mean by the SEC is at the end of the day, the SEC rules college football and so does European soccer when it comes to soccer even though south america has argentina has brazil europe still has everybody else pretty much at the end of the day including italy that's playing in this game again like i mentioned they're in the group stages and in this group we have italy netherlands poland and then bosnia and herzegovina so three very solid teams italy netherlands and poland Fighting, you might even call this the group of death, fighting to move on to the next phase, uh, to the knockout stages. And Italy and Netherlands have both already played three games. This is the last game of the group stages. Italy's in first with five points. Netherlands is tied with Poland for second with four points. So, hey, whoever wins this game might move on if they tie they might give way to Poland to end up number one in the group, and all of a sudden, one of them might be knocked out by a lot. So not only is it name-brand teams, which you love coming out of Europe, like Italy is, I can't even say off the top of my head, I think they've won the World Cup two or three times already. Netherlands, I think, has maybe won it once, or they may have never won it yet, but... They're always they've never they've never won they've never won they yeah. lost to Spain in that World Cup. Yeah, but they're always in contention. I think that one was uh, within recent memory. I remember watching that at a, at a 
Hawaiian barbecue place by myself <laughs> back in those days <laughs> when Spain won that World Cup. But yeah, Netherlands, again, they're a name brand. They're always in contention. They're consistently a top 10, top 15 team in the world. So don't get me wrong. I don't know who the fuck is playing on either side, but you know that there's star players on both of these teams. The star players that I grew up with on both of these, the Paolo Mandinis, the Buffons of the world for Italy are no longer there. For Netherlands, which all of Mexico absolutely hates because of last World Cup, all those guys pretty much have moved on and it's a new crop of players. But at the end of the day, these are two solid teams. They're playing at lunch hour tomorrow. You can catch it on ESPN2. If you're at work, go into the break room. You'll see it in there. If, like most people, you're at home, just you're on your laptop, put it in the background. You'll be able to catch some world-class soccer at noon for your lunch hour. That's the good part about it. Andres, are you a little bit more familiar with either of these teams by any chance? Oh, yeah, of course, man. I follow the Italian national team because, I mean, I'm half Italian, half Mexican. And growing up, there was nothing else. USA soccer wasn't where it was today. But, I mean, you're right. The, the classic Italian teams, right? The the Pieros, the uh, the Tattusos, the Buffons, which is by in my eyes the great one of the greatest goalkeepers of all time. Moving forward, you do have a new generation of players, but more importantly, it's that Netherlands team that people don't really know yet, right? I'm looking at the lineup and I'm recognizing names as Van Dijk, which is the the star center uh, center defender for Liverpool. Uh, De Jong, which is the midfielder. I mean, the Orange Crush is a solid team, and I'm really scared for Italy because Italy tied 0-0 to Poland, and that's not a team that they usually tie. And, uh, you know, it's a little it's a little worrisome. When I look at Italy's squad, they're t- sitting in top form right now on, on the table. They beat Maldiva, or sorry, Ber- uh, Berzia Herzog 6 nothing. So I don't expect that to happen. But they have Cellini still, who is their star defender, and Bonucci. So the defense has always been strong. Um, I'm looking down at who's their starting forward. Yeah, uh, Immobile is pretty good. Oh, Sarway is always good. Uh, And it's going to come down, I expect at least a hard-nosed game, maybe a tie maybe a 2-1 squeezing it out. I'm going to go with the Italians, but Van Dijk in the middle for for the du- for the Netherlands, for the Dutch, I, it's going to be tough. I expect this to be at least a 2-2. I think, I think it's going to be a tie. I don't see anybody drawing out. And I expect uh, a lot of yellow cards. I expect a physical matchup. So, Flores, you're right. This is European soccer. This is where the, the big boys come and play, and the national team is where everybody wants to be at right now, and there's no better soccer to watch than European soccer. So, uh, it's a hell of a pick. I was just surprised. I want to know your aspect of it. Pat, are you going to be watching this game? Do you want to see uh, some hard knocks being tossed around on the pitch? Or uh, does this game bore you since, you know, you're still learning the game of soccer? Um, it doesn't bore me. I like to see matchups when it comes time to fill out the World Cup bracket. You like to think back and see who was good not too long ago, how certain players faced up against one another. Um, you know me. I if, if I'm not 
completely into something, I consider it research. Um, and this is a good research game. Like Flora said, it's at 11.45. Um, the Netherlands are sitting at plus 275 right now. Um, so if you take the Netherlands to outright win, you can triple your money, basically, uh, if that happens. Um, I, I don't... I, I like to have a rule of thumb. If it's plus 150 or under, then the underdog has a legit chance. But plus 275, I think that's just kind of way too much uh, for the Netherlands to, to come out from. So I'll, I'll take a look at the at the goal line. And, it, you know, if they're, if they're giving Netherlands one or two goals, maybe you take that. But um, either way, uh, it's, a, it's a good competitive match. And it, like Flores said, it, it's some household names. Um, and like you said, Andres, the Netherlands haven't quite won the World Cup, but they're always around. Um, we might as well call them the Netherlands Dodgers, um, because speaking of the Dodgers, um, <laughs> they've uh, they've sniffed the championship a few times. Um, they're they're sniffing it again this year, um, but you know they're on life support. And Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all eyes are going to be on the Astros Tampa Bay series and the Dodgers. Braves series. So let's talk about the Dodgers. Flores and Andres, you guys have been arguing back and forth. Andres dragging Dave Roberts' name through mud. Flores protecting Dave Roberts' honor. And me uh, and Chance on the outside, kind of, we don't really know what to think because sometimes I like Roberts, sometimes I hate him. The Dodgers are down 2-0 right now in this series. Um, let's start with you, Andres. Do you think the Dodgers have any chance to come back and win the series this weekend? Um, Pat, I mean, look, I'm a diehard Dodger fan. I always have been, always will be. I'm also also their harshest critic. Uh, you know, no stranger to the show is Mr. Dave Roberts, and I'll be seeing you again tonight, my man. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know, Pat. I don't. I'd like to believe that they will. They have the bats. They have the offensive power. They have the pitching. Um, their bats, you know, the, the good thing about tonight's game, even though they lost, was they finally woke, they finally woke up towards the, like the eighth and the ninth. Mm. But they got to wake up sooner. They got to put in eight runs before the fifth inning. And they haven't done that. And it's been quite the opposite. The, the Braves have been the, the first attackers. And, you know, they're setting the tone. I it, it comes down to Robert's decision making. Uh, he desperately and royally fucked up game one um, decision making by having however many pitchers that night, and when there was no need, only throwing one inning and not saving arms. That's why he couldn't bring in pitchers tonight. Um, I, I don't know. I, I like to see more small ball. I like to see more stealing bases. The whole left side of the field's open for a lot of players, and no one's dropping bunts. So they have a chance. Do I think it's going to happen? Uh, I don't know. Yes, no, maybe <laughs> so. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, uh, God, I, I really want to believe. I, I think they have every fucking offense power. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say that they they're going to go. I'm going to say the Dodgers come back and, and beat these fucks. Um, and I think there's, the, I think it's supposed to be another LA or California, Florida team in the finals. So I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to say that would be the Dodgers and Rays in the World Series. All right, Mister uh, Shot Caller with the sports book Flores, you put some change on the Braves, so we all think 
but we all know you think the Braves are going to win. Just elaborate a little bit more off that bet you placed. And for full transparency, I've also laid down money on the last two series against the Dodgers because you get such great odds, and everybody that knows baseball knows that these series are at the end of the day 50-50 series. It's not like basketball where the best player can take over. It's not like football where the game can drag on and at the end of the day the coach with the better game plan or whatever it may be or the better players that make plays can pull things out. No, baseball at the end of the day in the playoffs, similar to hockey to a certain extent, is a 50-50 You're playing craps, you're playing dice, it's just a roll of the dice to see what comes up. And the Brewers, unfortunately, fell a little bit short because of some injuries that happened last second. Braun, for example, and their closer, the rookie, I think his last name might have been Williams, um, not being active and Braun getting injured after the the mid through the first game, and it was only a three-game series. Second series, Padres had maybe a chance in game two and because they didn't pull through on that I think they imploded in game three and gave that series away but the further you go on the better teams that you play the Braves have been smashing through everybody and when you're getting plus 190 on a Braves team and you know damn well this is a 50-50 series you have to drop money on that it's not personal it's business that's what I've been telling a lot of my friends with this one because do the Dodgers have a chance? Absolutely, they still have a chance to come back. They're only down two games, and baseball is the only sport, I think it might have happened in hockey, but that a team has come back from a 3-0 deficit. So do they have a chance? They always have a chance. I think they also might have gotten into the Braves pitchers' heads a little bit today when they were able to come back back from, I think it might have been like 7-1 at one point, or 7-0, matter of fact, to make it an 8-7 game and scoring four runs in the ninth. Now, how did they score six of those seven runs? It's by home run. These guys are swinging for the fences every time, and you live by the long ball, you die by the long ball. The Yankees, for years, have been going through this, and that's why they fall short. And you see it with Bellinger. Every time that he's up there, the dude is swinging for the fences. It's something that we talked about today between should they have batted him or Will Smith at the fifth spot. And to be honest, they probably did the better thing Roberts did by playing Smith there because Bellinger, even until the end, just has been absolutely horrible these playoffs. And why? It's because he's swinging for the fences every time up. It works for the Dodgers sometimes, but at the end of the day, you need to get runs from the get-go. You cannot wait till the seventh, eighth, ninth innings when you're down eight, seven runs to put these runs on the board. But I'm concerned about their pitching, like I've been screaming about, their bullpen, viewers, their aces, his issues that he's been having with the blisters which didn't seem to bother him much this last game, but at the same time, maybe that's why he came out after six instead of being able to go seven or eight. Kershaw, we just saw what happened today. Everybody keeps talking about Urias. Everybody keeps talking about Gonsolin. Look at what happened with Gonsolin today. So I'm concerned about their pitching. I love the Braves bullpen, especially the back end with the seven, eight, ninth innings being on lock with Will Smith 
and Mark Melanson, which are both former Giants also. I know Pat shouted that out too. So do the Dodgers have a chance to come back? Yes, but I'm feeling really, really good about my Braves bet at this point, being up 2-0 with the confidence that they have, even though it might be a little shaken because of what happened later on in the innings of this game too. Well, they're catching, they got to they gotta catch up to the curve. And what I mean by that is like what you said about the Dodgers beating up on some shitty teams over the last, you know, over the 60 game season. And I, I, I admit it. I mean, but the, you know, there's some shitty teams all, all around the leagues that they play, but when the Braves are, are facing, you know, the Phillies and the Mets and the nationals and the Marlins are usually the joke of the division and they made the playoffs. So like when, when the Braves are facing that kind of talent and the Dodgers were playing. And not only that, remember the AL East too, the Yankees, the Blue Jays, mm-hmm. the Rays, that's who the, that's who the Braves were playing. Same thing with the central, the central sent a shitload of teams in the national and American league. The Dodgers really were only playing against the A's. Everybody else was under 500. The Padres may be the exception, but we saw what they happened with injuries. Just thought I'd throw that in there too, Pat. Well, no, that, that, that's true, and then yeah, that's very true. And I was going to say the Dodgers are catch, you know they're going to catch up to the curve. I'm hoping as a Dodger fan, I'm praying as a Dodger fan that it took them a game and a half to catch up to that curve, and that they come out and on Friday afternoon, everybody listening right now is watching a game five. That is a tied series, two-two. Um, so, hopefully, the Dodgers bats can come around and catch up to that good pitching. And you know what? I like to see my teams earn it. I, I love, I love a blowout like the Lakers blowout was was nice. But you know, it would have been cool to see them win at the buzzer on Friday, like I almost predicted. So, I like to see my teams grind it out. And at the end of the day, um, at least we don't have to hear the fucking Braves tomahawk chop all the time because they're playing at a different <laughs> stadium. So, you know, that's my silver lining. But um, predictions, I'm I'm predicting the Dodgers to come back and win the series in a very dramatic fashion. I don't think it's going to be six games. It's going to have to be seven games. And uh, let's let's move over to the – I guess we, we should just talk about it a little bit. Um, let's go Rays. I love the Rays. I love what they're doing to the Astros. I think the Rays make it out of the weekend. Um, I don't even know if that series makes it to Friday. Andres, what do you say? Um, there's no – it has to. There's no way the Astros get swept. No fucking way. As much as I would like to see it happen, they just have too much power offensively. And I think – I just look at – we're watching. I'm watching the game live right now, and Springer just got, you know, got robbed of a, of a single, but, I mean, it's a hell of a defensive play. But just the, the determination in his face, he got frustrated, he got upset. At least there's a fighting spirit. I guess they really feel like, you know, the backs are up against the walls losing tonight. Or, I mean, they are losing tonight, but they haven't lost the game. And possibly going down 3-0, I just don't see them being swept. Um, it's just weird to me, too, that this whole playoff system is that there's seven straight games, which is really unheard of. So, talk about a mental game. I think they have to pick themselves out of the trash cans. Well, they're, um, they're not traveling anywhere. They're they're staying at the. No, I know. No, I get it. But come on, Pat. Seven straight days, though. At least one day break. But that's not happening. Um, no, but I think they at least. Uh, I, I think this this series can go to potentially 
five or six. I don't. I just. I just don't see it losing. And I feel bad for uh, Dusty Baker. Talk about. I mean, I, I don't <laughs> want to see him to go out and be swept. As much as he was a Giants former Giants uh, manager and stuff, I have a lot of respect for him, and I think he did well in Washington. But I think the Rays ultimately win this series. I just don't see it happening. And I think they're pitching right. We talked about it before. They're stable. They have. They have. They have the infamous stable. Uh, and so far, it's proven that that stable was a key factor. So, Flores, do you expect the Astros to get swept, or do you, think, do you see a fighting chance? I 100% see them being swept. Do I also wow. maybe see them? Do I also maybe see them pulling out tomorrow's game? Because I do not see them now with the Rays bullpen only needing six more outs coming back from a 5-2 deficit right now. And the Rays still have to bat. Keep that in mind. And the Astros, to me, do not have a good bullpen. Their pitching is shit. It's been shit all season. Verlander sounded like an absolute bitch at the beginning of the season when reporters came out and said he's out for the season. And then he tried to go on the defensive and say, oh, hold on, I'm not out for the season. A couple weeks later, he's out for the season. Like, shut the fuck up, dude. Granky, love the guy. I absolutely love Granky, and I feel bad for him. But that's all they got, in my opinion. As far as pitchers, they have a lot, a lot of young bullpen arms that are not proven that this Rays veteran type of lineup can definitely do some harm to if games get close. And, hey, man, these Astros pitchers, I mean, batters had a pretty bad season. Altuve had a horrible season compared to what he's used to. Granted, Correa has been killing it in the playoffs. The guy that I think everybody hates in the majors more than I don't even remember anybody hating anybody as much as him. Maybe John Rocker back in the day is the closer for the Braves. <laughs> uh, I think it was. But, yeah, everybody absolutely hates Correa. Springer, kind of in the same vein, even though he doesn't talk as much, is kind of a dickhead, too. Bregman. I just, yes, they have quote-unquote power and hitters, but the Rays are on a mission, man. And I mentioned this to a couple friends going into these last, the semifinals, the ALCS and NLCS, that if I were to pick a team that was going to win the World Series at this point, I'd say it's the Rays. My sleeper before was the Padres. Obviously, we saw how that ended, but... The way that the Rays were able to take care of the Yankees and make it seem seamless, and the way that their closers come in, and that coach's mentality, just the ruthlessness that he has, and the execution that they have, I just think it's meant to be for the Rays to win this World Series. I fully expect it to be Rays versus Braves in the World Series, and I do expect these Rays to sweep these Astros at this point. So I have I have two things to say. We had just discussed the shitty NL West and shitty AL West. And the Houston Astros couldn't even produce a over 500 record against those teams. They went 29 and 31, and um, the Braves went or the Rays went 40 and 20, playing the, those solid teams. So the writing's on the wall that the Astros are done. They're not able to steal signs anymore. They lost their competitive edge. And the other thing is I'm looking at the Rays lineup, and Andres can attest to this, Flores. I know you don't play fantasy baseball, but I'm looking at these names. Kevin Kiermeyer, Willie Adams, 
Brendan Lowe, Austin Meadows, Joey Wendell, Manuel Margot, Flores. These are all guys that are no legit. They're all on the waiver wire in fantasy baseball. They're not drafted. They're not, they're not owned. I mean, I think Austin Meadows, probably the best guy that is, is on a lot of rosters, but all these dudes are, are not like the best players. They're, they're solid players, but they're not, you know, the Cody Bellingers or the Aaron judge. They're not those dudes. So if the Dodgers don't win the world series this year, I would love to see the Rays win it. And everybody's talking about, you know, the, the Lakers and Dodgers winning in the same city since 88, but don't forget the lightning also won the Stanley cup. So that would be pretty cool if Tampa Bay can do it on um, two different teams. Of course, I want to see the Dodgers win, but that's just a side story that I noticed that the Astros couldn't get their shit together versus, you know, all these shitty teams. And now it's starting to show um, the Dodgers have to get the Dodgers have to get ahead of the curve and, Andres, if you're Dave Roberts, who do you throw tomorrow as the pitcher? I don't, I'm assuming they haven't announced it yet, so I want to ask you. Well, they've, they've already announced it. I think it's Urias. It's Urias. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, I mean, it's, Urias is great. I, I've always liked the kid. I think they've dicked him around his whole career by sending him you know, up and down. We've talked about him many times before the show. Sending him up and down, you know, AAA and AA and everything else, and Look, you gotta let him build confidence. And my question is, to if I'm if I'm Roberts, I leave Urias until he gets into real trouble. Mm-hmm. So I'm not pulling him. No, absolutely not. <laughs> if he can go fucking, if he can go six, we're good. Like he did the other night, coming in relief. If he can go at least five or six, we're gravy. If he's got a a one hitter in the seventh, I'm pitching him until the arm falls off. I'm not going into the bullpen unless I have to. The question is, are the bats going to be alive? It looks like they will, considering they have let the momentum continue. You scored fucking four in the you know ninth, and it's crazy. If the Dodgers bullpen does not give up, uh, you know, top of the ninth homer, this game is tied at seven with a chance to win it. So I don't know. I just I'm only my biggest concern is what kind of a short leash is Roberts going to have on his pitchers tomorrow? So uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, no, we, we will see. And um, I I hope I don't sound too much like a homer, but I, I, I really think that the Dodgers and Braves are playing a game five on Friday and, uh, you know, it's going to be a 2-2 series. So that's actually the coverage that we wanted to discuss for Wednesday Thursday and Friday. I mean, of course, we got to pay homage to baseball because we all love baseball. After this, we're going to talk about Saturday, Sunday, and of course, there's a big game on Monday that we're going to break down. If you enjoy listening to the show, please subscribe to us on Instagram and Facebook. Just search Weekend Starts on Wednesday. You can keep up with all of our entertainment, all of our posts, and all of our stories. Again, Instagram, Facebook, Weekend starts on Wednesday. Whoa, 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 Pat. Let's slow down a little bit before getting into this weekend, into Friday activities, Saturday, Sunday debauchery. I want to talk about something that's happening Thursday, October 15th in Connecticut. Mixed martial arts. It's not the UFC, but it's Almost the UFC. It's 
Bellator 249. So Chris Cyborg, for those of you that don't know, for years, we're talking about before even Ronda Rousey sniffed the UFC stardom, the only name in women's mixed martial arts that mattered was Cyborg, was Chris Cyborg, the Brazilian. She finally made her way to the UFC, won a couple fights. The Ronda Rousey fight never happened. They were different weight classes, don't get me wrong. But Ronda Rousey ended up getting her ass knocked unconscious by Holly Holm and then by Amanda Nunez as well. And, you know, that fight never happened. Amanda Nunez versus Chris Cyborg is arguably the greatest women's mixed martial arts fight of all time. It was for who is the GOAT of women's MMA. Hmm. And as I predicted, because Cyborg at that time, I believe this might have even been two years ago now, Cyborg was the heavy favorite. So I put money on Amanda Nunez to win that fight. And sure enough, in the first round, she knocked Chris Cyborg out on punches. Kind of the way that Cyborg finishes her opponents, Amanda Nunez did it to her. She annihilated her. Cyborg never had a chance. Amanda Nunez had maybe two or three chances to knock her out. Finally did. And she took home what is now, again, Amanda Nunez is the GOAT of women's MMA. There is nobody, I think, that even comes close to her UFC title-holding record to what she is to the UFC. Maybe not famous-wise like Ronda Rousey was, but as far as the odds that she has going into certain fights, she'll beat everybody, is the point. But Chris Cyborg had a falling out with the UFC. Contracts, this and that, who's she going to fight? And so she moved on, and there were all kinds of different promotion companies waiting to snatch her up. Bellator came in, and now she's headlining... I believe it's their pay-per-view, Bellator 249. Bellator always has pay-per-views on Saturdays, I think because the Lomachenko and Telfimo fight is this Saturday. They might have not wanted to have it or whatever mm-hmm. it might have been. Uh, disputes with the date. Who knows why, but the point is that we're getting a Thursday night fight in MMA. Bellator 249, Chris Cyborg is back. She's 22-2. and two. One of those losses, like I mentioned, being that Amanda Nunez lost, the most recent one. She's going up against, in my opinion, a 37-year-old nobody to a certain extent. Arlene Blankow, uh, she's Australian. She has a 13-7 and record. This is more of a comeback fight for Cyborg. That's what you do when you're a fighter and your mind isn't there. And especially sometimes when you've been knocked out, you can't just come back and fight the best of the best. You have to ease your way back in, get a couple of fights under your belt before you're able to compete with the top-notch fighters. So Chris Cyborg, for anybody that knows anything about the fight game, about MMA, about UFC, knows the name. She's fighting this Thursday, probably around 7, 8 p.m. Her fight is going on. There's Five or six fights on the main card. None of these names are recognizable. Patrick, Patricky Freire of Brazil versus Jaleel Willis is the co-main. Ricky Bandejas versus Leandro Chico is the third fight there on the card. There's a couple more, but 
The only thing that matters is that Cyborg is back and she's fighting on Thursday. Make sure you guys tune in. I did just want to give that quick little shout out to Cyborg and to Bellator for putting on this card for us on Thursday. Patrick, I'll send it back to you live <laughs> in the studio to bring us back to what's going to happen uh, Saturday. Yeah, so that is a lot of action on Thursday. Um, if you're not into baseball, but you like MMA, Flores broke it down beautifully. Um, but Andres is Andres is kind of hard to predict because you know sometimes he he's he's a he calls himself a night owl, but then sometimes he wakes up super early to watch these soccer matches. But it's a little bit of tricky territory if you're on the uh, Pacific Standard Time. So Andres, you can be a night owl and use it to your advantage. Friday night going into Saturday because Saturday morning at 4.30, your boys, Liverpool, are taking on Flores' boys, Everton, English Premier League matchup. I know you think Liverpool's going to win, Andres, but how do you see this match playing out? Uh, this is a tricky game, Pat, and I will, uh, I'm already thinking if I'm going to be up all night to watch this game or if I need to take a little nap and wake up. <laughs> Early enough to watch this game. Uh, you have to be decided, but this is going to be tricky. Uh, Liverpool, this is going to be a great game, by the way. Uh, Liverpool is sitting fourth place in the tables for the Premier League. They did win it last year. They are the defending champs. Everton uh, haven't lost a game. Uh, and they're in first place. So Liverpool needs a win. They got fucking embarrassed here in the last game uh, to Austin Villa which should never happen. I don't know when the last time I ever saw Liverpool give up seven goals. But this game is being played at Everton's home. We know that Hamas, Flores' favorite boy, is on the Everton team. They do have all the team. They do have all I mean, squad. Um, he's been playing lights out this year. Potential frontrunner to be, in my opinion, the best player in the Premier League just on the four games. But we'll see what happens on Hamas Rodriguez. But... Of course, I expect Liverpool to win this game. I just expect this thing, the problem, game to be a tie. I, I want to see Liverpool hand uh, Everton their first loss, but we'll see. I just think with all the international games being played right now and players, uh, you know, going to their national teams, it might be a little hard for Liverpool to get back. Some of them, could, you know, because of the lag, jet lag or whatever or competitions, considering that Van Dyke we had just talked about before. The Dutch is the star player in Liverpool, so I don't know if that's going to have an effect. But I'm going with Liverpool on this game. Flores, are we having a Mexican breakfast together? Are we having some chorizo and eggs at 4.30 in the morning? Are you watching the game with me? Hell no, I'm having me some fish and chips. The only fish <laughs> I know coming from England. I know nothing else. Maybe I know... Uh, lamb chops. I remember when I, I went to England, they had a lot more lamb being served there than they do here. It's the only thing I do remember. Um, but, man, Everton, just peep these scores real quick. 4-2 the last game. 4-1 the game before that. 2-1 against Crystal Palace, I think their name is. 5-2 in the first game. They've just been absolutely killing it. They're in first place in the Premier League. I think I mentioned this last week. It's been about a hundred years since they started off this hot and won their first four games. Fully expect them to keep it going and finally beat one of the top teams, which Liverpool always is. So 
I'm excited about this. Hamas did his thing today. I was talking to the guys right before the show. Colombia came back and tied 2-2 with the 90th minute goal by Valmer Falcao against Chile. Hamas just did his thing in two games. They beat Venezuela. They came back and tied against Chile, which again is one of the more formidable opponents that you have in South America that always gives Colombia trouble. So I'm expecting Hamas to be in good spirit. Yeti Mina, uh, also Everton's top defender and one of their best goal scorers when it comes to either free kicks or corner kicks. He's the guy that heads them in. He's six foot three. He's a beast of a defender on offense as well. He does his thing. So, hey, and Everton has the goalkeeper, the British national goalkeeper as well. I knew I recognized him when he was out there. So I know they have a squad as well. Does Liverpool have the depth is the ESPN article that I read before this. So you never thought you'd hear that about a team like Everton. I remember all, all I remember about Everton is them having the uh, American goalkeeper a couple years ago for a while. So it looks like they haven't been this good forever. So I'm very excited that they're being led by Colombians and that they're going to make this happen against Liverpool. Andres, we'll talk off air about this low wager that we're going to have to have. Yeah, I, I don't understand real quick how ESPN is such garbage to think or to ask because Liverpool have the depth. They're out of their fucking minds, dude. <laughs> I'm looking at the lineup. Fabinho, Van Dijk, Joe Gomez. These are all just defenders. Trent Alexander-Arnold, who was the you know rookie of the year last year. Thiago in the midfield. Fermino, Salah, Alex Chamberlain. These guys are out of their minds. The depth. These guys fucking spend millions of dollars. The depth, the nerve of ESPN, the nerve. I'm the fucking happy. Well, right. I, like, the nerve hey, hold on. I think I misspoke. I think they're asking if they have the depth to handle the upcoming, just all the different games that they have. Champions, Bro, they have the depth to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, okay, okay, that's a little better. I was like, come on, these guys spent millions. Well, I mean, in in my opinion, so it's like Everton is the hot team right now, you know, kind of like the Braves, and Liverpool is kind of like the Dodgers. Where I mean, they they won they I mean they won the Champions League what two years ago? Um, they didn't make it back last to, year. Well, okay, it seemed like two years ago, but anyways. Yeah. What what I'm trying to say is that Oh, the, I do I do remember Andres being super happy about that. You're right. That was recently. Yeah, so I mean it, the Everton's hot though right now. I mean, we saw it with Bayern Munich. They they destroyed their teams in their league. And you know, I, I'm taking Everton to continue to roll. And then we wanted to have Andres and uh Chance discuss the eleven thirty game is Louisville Cardinals versus the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Um, Chance is not able to make the show tonight. So, Andres, quickly, the spread is 17. Notre Dame couldn't cover the spread of uh, 21 last week. Will they cover the spread this week versus Louisville? Uh, Notre Dame's at home, yes? Yes. Yeah, 11.30, yeah. So, um. I don't know if they cover the spread. I like the I like the over. I really like the over as always. <laughs> and I called it la- I called it like last week, and I was right about that. Um, 
I think it's going to be an ass kicking. I just hope Notre Dame's defense can be a little bit tougher. I did see them play over the weekend, and they didn't cover the spread against Florida State. They do have times where the defense just like, eh, we're up a lot. Let's not let's not uh, be dominant anymore. Uh, I'm on the up, you know opposite side of that coin and say, hey guys, don't you got to finish all fucking four quarters. So the over set to sixty four. I really like the sixty four. Give me the over. I want to see them cover the 17. Look, Louisville is giving up 34 points a game. Notre Dame's defense is only giving up 13. So, in that margin, they're covering the spread at 17. So, yeah, fuck it. Sean's uh, isn't here to defend his Cardinals. He's probably in bed because he's already getting ready for that that game against Notre Dame and saying, I don't want to face them, let alone I don't want to talk to the Cavalier King. So, <laughs> um, I think they're going to cover. I'm going to bet it across the board. They win. Money lines are going to be paid nothing, but they'll cover the spread at 17 and the over 64. Go Irish. Flores, you think they cover that spread or no? Yeah, dude. I, I mean, I can't believe Louisville. Weren't they just ranked like top 15, they, top 20? Like, what they the were two, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. because they didn't cover it last week. And, I mean, Louisville is expected to be shitty. Um, Chance said that they're sorry. So when you're playing with nothing to lose, that's when crazy things happen. And the last game on Saturday, the last football game, is what we just kind of touched on. Georgia Bulldogs ranked third in the nation, taking on Alabama Crimson Tide ranked second. This game is at 5 p.m., Pacific Standard Time on CBS. Andres, can we get a CBS soundbite? Uh, uh, no, sorry, that's, <laughs> sorry, that's just being baseball. All right. <laughs> so, um, okay, so uh, Joe Morgan, exactly. I know. I'm watching baseball in front of me, and I'm and I'm thinking about Joe. Okay, so um, Georgia defense is giving up 12 points a game. Alabama defense is giving up 30 points a game. Will Georgia win? Let's start with you, Flores. 
Uh, I mean, I never want to bet against Nick Saban ever, ever, and I, I won't in this game, but how absolutely sick is it that we're seeing a number two versus number three team so early on in the season? I know sometimes you get lucky enough to see it happen, but I fully do expect Alabama to win and to cover, especially because of what happened last week against Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban coming off of situations like that where he got a little bit embarrassed, where they gave up, I think, like 48 points, the most against mm-hmm. uh, an unranked team, I think, in forever. So I expect him to just come back to get in his players, student athletes, and asses this week and make sure that they come ready to go against the Georgia team. Maybe they were just sleepwalking through the last game and were getting ready for Georgia. I don't know, but I know that Nick Saban, after a loss, even though it wasn't a loss, but they got embarrassed to a certain extent, will make sure his players are ready. So I see that as the X factor against the Georgia Bulldog team that is also beasting, but I do see Alabama winning and covering as well. Andres? I'm, I'm on the same boat. I mean, this game's in Tuscaloosa. Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Look, look, Georgia's great. Georgia's a great ball game, ball team. And I don't, I just feel sad for them. I feel sorry for them. They go again, they face Alabama, like their old rivals, the team that they're probably going to face in the SEC championship game every year. And yet every year, same story, Alabama on top. <laughs> There's no way in hell that Alabama loses this game at home. They've got a hell of a quarterback in Matt Jones. They have Harris running the ball. He's already got 10 touchdowns. He's got 52 carries, 347 yards, 10 touchdowns. And it's only been three games. Like, Flores, you made a point. Alabama knows how to – when they lose players, they just reload them, right? They all want to play for, for Nick Saban. They all want to work, get a chance in the ring. Uh, I think they take care of business. They beat Georgia – they cover the six, which I'm really surprised it's only six. So I'm jumping on the six. I love it. They're going to beat them by at least 14. Mm. And I, and I kind of like the over 57, but I think Alabama for sure handles their scandal at home. I don't see a game. Good night, Georgia. Well, okay, so the over will not happen. These are the two best defenses in the country. So the, I don't think the over is going to happen. But I think Georgia wins only because I, I just don't like Alabama. And for me, it just all goes back to when they lost to Florida State and how much of poor sports they were about it. A.J. McCarron's mom talking all that shit about Jameis Winston. And it's like, I know she doesn't speak for all of the Roll Tide nation, but I just feel like the way that she said that and how and all the comments that were following it, it just gave me a, a a bad taste in my mouth, and I just don't like Alabama because of it. And Georgia, Kirby Smart beating his old his old coach. I mean, how dope is that? So I think Georgia wins because it's COVID, and we've seen crazy things happen already. Um, so I mean, that's that's just me talking as Georgia knowing how to finally beat Alabama. I mean, look at the Nationals. They finally beat the Dodgers last year in the playoffs. Uh, you know, the, the these teams, after a while, they will break through and win. So um, we have four football games, 
three on Sunday and one on Monday. We can do two minutes per game to end this segment because we still have to come back and do Flores' uh, grand finale. So if you guys can kind of watch a clock, two minutes again. Let's start with Sunday morning, 10 a.m. The Cleveland Browns taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is an AFC North battle. I'm taking the Steelers based on out of prosperity. I know the Browns are hot, but the Steelers have been around. They got that new toy, Claypool, your boy Andres out of Notre Dame. I'm taking the Steelers. Andres, who do you have winning? I'm taking the Steelers. I mean, this is a hell of a matchup, by the way. Steelers are 4-0 for the first time in, fucking, I think, since Terry Bradshaw's days. And the Cleveland Browns, 4-1. They haven't been 4-1 since, I think, they said since, oh, since uh, your boy, um, Pat, uh, the great almighty, great coach at New England. Bill Belichick was Mm -hmm. the head coach for the Browns. So the Pittsburgh Steelers are, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger is having a year. He's already thrown for almost, uh, oh, he's already thrown for 1,000 yards, 10 touchdowns, one interception. And Claypool, my man from the University of... Notre Dame is just having a year. I think Pittsburgh Steelers have the better defense, and every year the Steel Curtain, another team that they lose players, retirement or injuries, and they just replenish that defense. It's unbelievable. And I'm gonna, this is going to be a dog fight, even though I feel bad for the dogs of, the, of Cleveland. I'm taking the Steelers at home. I'm rooting for them. I'll be watching the game with my brother. He's a diehard Steelers fan, so that's my AFC team, just because of, of family support. Flores, you think upset is in the making with Cleveland? I mean, there's a part of me that believes that there's a chance that I probably, for the last 10, 20 years, wouldn't have said that at all about Cleveland. <laughs> but given their early season start, there is a chance. But, man, they're missing Chubb. They have Kareem Hunt. Don't get me wrong. But the beauty of their game was throwing Chubb and hunt at you and now when they only have one of the two it definitely impacts them and I saw something this last game for Cleveland that I just didn't ever expect to see two important and almost back-to-back drops by Jarvis Landry so I don't know what's going on in his head he's supposed to be one of the most reliable pass catchers in the NFL if that isn't there If the running game isn't there, you cannot make mistakes against a very well-coached Pittsburgh Steelers team. I do expect the Steelers to pull it out. All right. 125. Green Bay Packers versus Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And let me add, Tampa Bay is actually the underdog at home. Andres, I'm going to just say it. I think Tampa Bay wins. I know that Tom Brady is... Older, but Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady. The um, Packers are clicking, though. They're undefeated. They look good. But I think this is the time where Tom Brady reminds everybody, this is my opinion. Don't hold it against me or don't go crazy. But I think Tom Brady's better than Aaron Rodgers. Andres, what say you? I have to have this thing on mute. Um, it's going to be a great game. I don't, I, I don't know. The only thing that I'm worried about for Tom Brady to, is if his all of his weapons are available. If Godwin's not playing, that's that's going to hurt. 
if his running backs aren't healthy, that's going to hurt him. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I think I'm going to have to, nah, who am I kidding? Brady at home, uh, I think the old man shows <laughs> Rodgers how dominant he still is in his young age. But this is a hell of a game to watch, and I'm very excited to watch this matchup. Flores. I've been defending Tom Brady to anybody that'll listen. One of my friends and I had a huge argument about who would you rather have this year, Tom Brady or Joe Burrow. And <laughs> I don't know how anybody would be as great as Joe Burrow has been. Don't get me wrong. I don't know how you would go with Tom without like thinking Tom Brady is a better option there. But Pat, I gotta say that's also kind of a very, very ridiculous take to say that Tom Brady is better than Aaron Rodgers right now. Aaron Rodgers is still there. Tom Brady, you can see the struggles in the new system. The guy just thought that it was still fourth down in this last game. One of the most embarrassing mm-hmm. things to happen to any quarterback in a long time. How do you sit out there and look at the ref and go, wait, it's fourth down, right? It's fourth down. Everybody's been saying he knew what down it was. The coach said, Tom Brady came out and said, but so then why the fuck are you asking the ref? Isn't it fourth down? You look like a complete idiot in that situation. If it was anybody but Tom Brady, they would be getting absolutely killed for that. He did not look good in that last drive. It's a Bears defense that is amazing. Don't get me wrong, but he looked very, very aged and just not making the right choices. He's struggling in this new system. He's struggling with his new weapon. I don't know what you're thinking saying that. (laughs) Right now. And I do I do expect Green Bay with the way that they're playing, that coach that they have with Aaron Jones as well, to keep rolling and to beat the Bucks. What I meant was there's people out there that think that Aaron Rodgers has a better is a better quarterback like overall like from from beginning of career to now and they think that he's just better than him. I don't think Tom Brady, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is better than Tom Brady. I mean, this Sunday, like this point in time, Aaron Rodgers is probably playing better than Tom Brady, but I will always say that I think Tom Brady's better than Aaron Rodgers, like his career. And, you know, I know Aaron Rodgers is good. He moves outside the pocket and all that a lot better. But I'd rather have Tom Brady if I was starting, like, my all-time, you know, team. You know, I would want Tom Brady as my quarterback. That That's what I meant. I would pick him over Aaron Rodgers if I was doing some kind of crazy um, Hall of Fame draft. Makes sense. That, that's what I'm saying. He's, he's my greatest quarterback of all time. And um, we have about two minutes left, so we're not going to be able to finish the last two games. So with that being said, I just told you who my best quarterback would be. Andres, who are you starting your team with? That's what I'm I'm debating. I have both Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers in two different leagues with Drew Brees. So, uh, no, you have to go with Tom Brady. I would wish the Niners would sign him because Jimmy G is done. So are you talking all time or are you talking right now? No, I don't think – I don't think I don't well, think Andres was listening. I said if you were starting your all time team, I have Tom Brady oh, as my. All time? Who's your oh, favorite quarterback no, of all time? Joe, Joe, Joe Montana. Oh, okay, I thought Easy. so. Flores. Easy. Yo, straight up, straight the fuck up, Michael Vick, dude. Oh. Atlanta Falcons, Michael Vick, like. He 
unfortunately had some horrible coaching. Well, not horrible, but not the best coaching, not the best situation. But imagine Bill Belichick with Michael Vick, the way that they've been able to unleash Cam Newton out there on the NFL this year. I just, I don't know, man. Steve Young is a close second as well, just because of that accuracy and the running ability as well. But Michael Vick, to me, is always going to be the most underrated football offensive player of all time. Damn, that's that's good. Those are some three good quarterbacks. So we still have two more games. We're going to do that after this. The last game of Sunday is an NFC West matchup at 5.20 p.m. The Niners taking on the Rams. I'll start us off. Sorry, fellas. I'm taking the Rams. Andres, who you got? Oh, man. I don't know. After this fucking ass shellacking we got by the Dolphins, thank you, Miami and Fitzmagic. I don't know. This game's up at home, but Jimmy G, no, nothing's clicking. I don't know. Nothing's clicking. I hate the Lambs. I'd like to see his way and get us back on the winning side. I'm still taking my Niners. I have to. I can't fucking jump ship, especially against an NFC West team. So, go Niners. I just pray for a victory. I don't know if it'll happen, but go Niners. Flores? And let me just throw this in there real quick. Shout out to my homie Edgar here in Downey. He was uh, my roommate for a while when I first moved to Downey a couple years ago. He actually went out to Vegas uh, this weekend and he cashed in my L.A. Lakers betting slip at one of the casinos. And he had an eight-team parlay, dropped 25 to win $600. Every team hit except the 49ers. Ooh. I feel really terrible for him that my team is the one that let him down so badly. And it's just how the season's gone. I was defending them till the death when it, they were... Two and one, and all these injuries were coming back, and Kittle was coming back, and Jimmy G was going to be back for this gauntlet of teams that they're about to play. But man, am I just, uh, I just feel some sort of way now about the 49ers. I wasn't the biggest fan of Jimmy G, but I still defended him last year because we kept winning, because we kept winning. But now it's just apparent that that guy is not a leader. He is too quiet. He does not deserve the title of being the leader of men and to have the contract that he does. He's been protected forever. I just I don't see the 49ers winning this game. They have a horrible secondary, number 48. When you went into the 49ers IG last week, literally every comment was about bench number 48. What the fuck is he doing on the field? Get that guy off the field. I wasn't watching the game, but I can only imagine how bad he was doing giving up home run touchdown to Devontae Parker, whatever it may be. But I just don't see the 49ers winning this game. Jimmy G went out at halftime last game because of his ankle still and trying to be protected. Hey, man, Aaron Donald is coming for you this week. What are you going to do this week? Get out again at halftime? And let C.J. Beathard or Nick Mullins come in. I just can't see the 49ers winning this game, but fuck the Rams anyway. So what I was going to say was my bold prediction was that the Rams would lose four in a row, right? Because I thought that they looked like, um, you know, I thought the Bills were going to expose them and it was going to turn into this downward spiral. And the Niners, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. The Rams actually look a lot better than I had thought. And I I would like to see the Niners beat the Rams. Don't get me wrong. I have a lot of Niner friends. You know, I have you two, my friend Rigo, my friends up in the Bay, Alex and Annalise, my cousins, Andrew and Andrew. There's a lot of Niners, you know, faithful within my close circle. And I would love to see the Niners beat the Rams. But the Rams are just, they're, they're clicking. They're cohesive. They're not as injured and you know they got weapons and golf looks good and uh andres i think i cut you off so what were you gonna say no no i was just gonna say um i think you're right but Forrest, you guys were giving me shit two weeks ago about how much i hate shanahan and jimmy g and you guys you and uh chance were just writing me and like again I, i'm just when i speak people listen but <laughs> here's the thing Dude, Shanahan, keep the run game going, bro. Keep the run game going. Why are you basing it off of, like, the, we, we went away from the run game over the weekend. Drives me insane. You do have decent running backs. Pound and ground. Let the, you know, running game open up your passing game. But Jimmy G's not the answer. That guy's got to go. Hopefully we can trade him for, and save some money. I think uh, maybe Be- uh, Bethart is the, the answer. He looked good. He looked good. Or maybe Mullins, but they got to be there. No, Bethart did not look good. And, what I was mainly getting at is it's ridiculous for you to say that both the quarterback and Shanahan are the scapegoats here because <laughs> Shanahan is the only reason why the 49ers were able to overcome what they did last year and overcome this Trent Dilfer of a fucking quarterback that they have by relying mm-hmm. on Brita last year and Moster. And Moster was coming back from an injury this last game and was finally active. Kittle dropped the fucking two-point conversion against the Eagles that might have tied things up. So a lot of blames to go on his shoulders, too. He hasn't necessarily been there to pick up some of the slack. But when you have all these injuries on defense, too, it just it, it, it makes your offense have to do things that they're not comfortable doing, not coming from behind. 49ers are a run-first offense. There's zero blame in my eyes to go on Shanahan. Shanahan is the fucking man. The only reason why the 49ers have been able to do what they've done is because of him. He's the best play caller in the <laughs> NFL. Anybody that knows uh-huh. anything about the NFL will tell you that. But that's why he's never won one. Yeah, he's the best play caller. You're right. That's why he's been to two of them, essentially, in the last and four or five years. Yeah, two so and, and nothing, and nothing to show for more, it. Just like, just like Roberts. That's saying more than McVeigh. That's saying more. That's almost saying as much as fucking Pete Carroll, if you really want to think about it that way. Hey, Pete Carroll has a ring to show for it. McVeigh's already lost one Super Bowl, so he's only one behind Shanahan. They're about the same. <laughs> Pete Carroll's also twice the age of Shanahan, so chill out there. Give him some time. <laughs> I love it. Andres. You know that Andres is a fan if he hates that person's coach. Like that that team's coach, if he hates it, that's his team. Um, so that, that's the rule of thumb. Now, the Monday night football game, I'm a Cowboys fan. I think that the Cowboys, I think they lose. Um, Kyler Murray's electric. He's good. But that's not the game we're talking about. There's a special game. It's the... Chiefs taking on the Bills, and I believe this is in uh, Orchard Park um, in Buffalo over there on the East Coast. So I'll put it out there. 
the Chiefs are good. Um, the Bills on short rest. They got worked tonight by the Titans. I think the Chiefs win. I don't know if they win big, but I think they win. Flores, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, the Cowboys just have the most, I mean, I was just talking about shitty 49 years secondary and defense to a certain extent is the Cowboys won is twice as bad, I want to say. Um, so I just see them having no chance in this game. I'm just going to keep it sweet and simple. And the Chiefs, do you think they're going to beat the Bills? Um, as far as that game goes, I expected the Bills today to do a lot more than they did. Um, I was even clowning you, Pat, on that one. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, man, I mean, you see some stuff with Allen. You see his arm, his talent that he has. But I think they were missing uh, John Brown, if I'm not mistaken, um, their speedy wide receiver. Obviously, that yeah. kind of hurt him with the deep ball. But Mahomes is going to bounce back, dude. I mean, when you – when you get embarrassed like that, I feel that there's something in you that you're a leader. You go into that locker room, you tell them, let's bounce the fuck back. Let's get this next one. So I've learned to not bet against that, dude. Andres. I don't see Mahomes. Mahomes is not losing two games in a row. He got embarrassed to Chucky and to David Carr over the weekend. Congratulations, Raiders. I had a funny feeling that they would beat him, but... Uh, I, there's no way. The, the Bills look lost tonight. They didn't look in sync. Poor play calling. Um, you know, talk about play calling on the other side. That motherfucker of a walrus in uh, Andy Reid <laughs> is going to show Buffalo what's up. And I expect whatever the over is, I expect it to hit. I think it's going to be going off. I don't think the Chiefs have, have great defense. And that's why I think a lot of points will be scored. But I'm expecting like a 42-20 blowout. Um, but yeah, the Chiefs take care of business in Buffalo. And you said the Red Rocket will lead the Cowboys to a W? I think that this is the dawn of the new era in Dallas. We saw the Red Rocket, the red-headed stepchild, Satan's adopted child, <laughs> and the beautiful quarterback that he is. I think he, I think he wins. I think they, they have... The momentum, I think they're going to be playing for Prescott for the year, you know, uh, year on out. Um, they're at home. Uh, the Cardinals' defense isn't the greatest. Uh, they've looked suspect all year. They lost to Carolina. They lost to Detroit. I mean, Carolina's okay, but they're not. They're missing weapons. Detroit's always bad, um, and they barely, you know, they struggled against the, the Washington team. Dallas has been there the last couple of days. They just, you know, came back from a tough, I mean, coming back against the Giants. They lost to Cleveland, they, and they lost, and they had the lead. They blew it towards the end. Yeah. And they lost to a Seattle team, a really good Seattle team. Uh, and they also lost to a good Rams team. So I think overall, quality of play, I think the Cowboys have played tougher teams with the Cardinals. They're at home. I don't think Jerry's world is going to allow Andy Dalton to lose his first <laughs> real start at the Cowboys. <laughs> On prime time in ESPN, and I'm sure Michael Irvin and the gang and Emmett Smith and Troy Aikman are going to be there. And I think it's a, a family reunion. So I'm going to say Dallas 
are gonna, you know, the, the the Cardinals will be sacrificed. I'm sure your brother-in-law won't like it, but fuck him, and I'm taking the Cowboys. <laughs> All right, way. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm sitting here smiling, laughing. So those are actually the most exciting games from Wednesday to Sunday that we chose to highlight. And, we have the and gra- Monday and Monday. Yes, and Monday, and we do have the grand finale coming up right after this. We know you're busy. We know you got things to do. We know you got people to see. If you can't watch the Dodgers game, if you can't watch Tampa Bay versus Green Bay Packers, if you can't watch the Cowboys play or anything else, at least make sure Saturday night you're front and center in front of a TV that gets ESPN because it's a very big boxing match going down. It is this weekend's grand finale. This has been something that is highly anticipated and it's going to be amazing to watch for the world of boxing. Flores is our very own boxing expert. He's very modest, but I think he's a boxing expert. He won't tell you straight up that he knows a lot about it because he doesn't want to be, you know, too much, but I think he knows a great deal and he's about to bless us with his knowledge. Flores, how do you see the boxing match unraveling? What do you think about Lomachenko? Do you think he's going to win? So for those that don't know the name Lomachenko, because as much as ESPN, as much as Bob Arum, as much as Top Rank has tried to push his name into the limelight, it still hasn't translated at all into pay-per-view buys, into anything like that. So because of that, we are being blessed, like you said, with an ESPN Saturday night broadcast. Not ESPN Plus, not a pay-per-view, not anything like that. The type of fight that you go to any restaurant right now, although it's going to be outdoors, for example, I did just on Friday night go watch the first half of the Lakers versus Heat game at my local Acapulco with a bunch of people outside just to give a little bit of ambiance because I haven't been out in a while. So if you want to go somewhere, you'll be able to catch this fight on whatever TV screen there is because it is the thing on ESPN. Maybe there might be a Dodger game at the time going on. I don't know. So that might take, obviously, precedent. But... Other than that, we are being blessed with an ESPN fight at a Las Vegas to a lot of boxing pundits, to a lot of the boxing community. This might arguably be the fight of the year with the most anticipation. And the reason why is you have the top of the top, the top pound for pound fighters, boxing and fighting in general, but more specifically boxing, even more so than the UFC is a sport where pound for pound matters. What that means is who is the best of the best, no matter what the weight class is, anything like that, and you can really differentiate. There's three names that matter, in my opinion, in pound for pound conversations. Canelo Alvarez, Bud Crawford, Terrence Crawford, and Vasily Lomachenko. So the fact that one of those three is actually going up against the biggest fight of his career is huge news. The 23-year-old Telfimo Lopez, who two years ago was The Ring, which is The Ring magazine, the number one boxing publication, the voice of boxing to a certain extent, there 
Air and ESPN's prospect of the year two years ago. Telfimo Lopez has been knocking people unconscious, doing the Fortnite dance afterwards, <laughs> donning uh, the Oklahoma, I think, was the jersey that he rocked to one of the fights. He's just been a complete star, a star of stars, making the name for himself. And a lot of people think this fight might be a little too early for him to go up against the top three pound-for-pound fighter in Vasily Lomachenko. And I think that's being reflected in the odds. He's coming in as plus 300 and Vasily Lomachenko minus 400. So you have to bet bet 400 bucks on Lomachenko just to win 100. But to me and to anybody that knows boxing, you know damn well this is a 60-40 fight, might even be a 50-50 fight with a very, very 51-49 fight, let's put it that way, with a very slight edge for Vasily Lomachenko. Just to give a little bit of background as to who Lomachenko is, this is the greatest, and I don't even think there's an argument in that, the greatest amateur fighter of all time. He is 396-1. and one. As an amateur, let me put let me let me say that again: <laughs> three hundred ninety-six wins and only one loss. Now, as a as a professional, he came into the game late, obviously, because when you have such an extensive amateur career, you win back-to-back gold medals at the Olympics, which is the top of what it is to be an amateur boxer. And let's keep in mind, amateur boxing is huge in Europe. A lot of these guys might make a better living staying as amateur boxers than they would as professional fighters. So that makes a lot of sense as to why Lomachenko would stay an amateur fighter for so long, because he's raking in the money, all the sponsorships, whatever it may be um, for his country, the Ukraine. He's a 32-year-old fighter now, going up against a 23-year-old in his prime stud. But man, they call this guy Lomachenko the Matrix for a reason. He easily came in as an already pound-for-pound fighter in his first couple of fights. He unfortunately, and this is what a lot of people argue against him, took an early loss. He actually has a loss on his record. He's not undefeated. Mayweather convinced everybody that you had to be undefeated to matter in boxing, and that's not the case. Two of the top three pound-for-pound fighters have a loss. Canelo Alvarez has a loss on his record. And so does Vasily Lomachenko. In his second fight, he was already fighting for a title. And he unfortunately came across a Mexican slugger in Orlando Salido who just took it to him. Fought the most dirtiest fight, was bigger than Lomachenko. He hit him with low blows a couple times. He absolutely did the veteran thing, which you have to do. And he beat Lomachenko on the cards slightly. So you can talk what you want to talk about Lomachenko not being that great, whatever it may be. Lomachenko also, in one of his more recent fights against a guy by the name of Linares from Venezuela, who was also maybe top 15 pound for pound at the time, being considered to be equal to Mikey Garcia at the time. And anybody that knows anything about boxing knows how highly regarded Mikey Garcia is. Linares actually knocked Lomachenko down. Granted, he got knocked the fuck out the very next round with a punch to the body, which put him to a knee and had him just completely say, I'm done for the fight. But Lomachenko has had 
you know, some chinks in his armor. He's had some situations where a lot of people question, damn, could something have happened with a better fighter? And that's the question that we're going to have answered this weekend on Saturday against Teofimo Lopez, who his last fight, I mean, he fought a guy by the name of Richard Comey and won some belts off of him. Comey has a great record. He just recently, before that, beat Ray Beltran, who was another one of Bob Arum's champions. He has a couple losses on his record, but he's lost to guys like Robert Easter Jr., who, again, is another top name in the lightweight divisions. So this is for all the marbles in the lightweight division. The IBF championship, the WBA, the WBC, the WBO, they are all on the line in this one. All the belts, it's for all the marbles, like I just said. It's amazing to see a fight like this happen. I wish they were both undefeated to say two undefeated champions mm-hmm. going up against one another. But hey, Lomachenko has two losses in his entire life as a boxer. You can't take anything away from him. I, I want to get your guys' thoughts on this. Andres, what do you think about this fight? Who do you have winning this? And have you checked who has the better arm length on this one yeah uh, i did i did i did look at the reach of course i looked at all the stats this is a great fight um and just quickly on, on the the tail of tape right because it's, it's people don't really look at that and i get made fun of because you know whatever but i think every little thing is a consideration and age gap right there's a big age gap loman is 32 uh lopez is 23 the height Lopez is 5'8", Lomachenko 5'6". The reach. This is where it plays big in boxing to have a longer arm or reach, right? Lomachenko is 65.4 uh, inches on the reach. Lopez has 68.5 inches on the reach. So he's got a three, 3.1 longer reach. Now the stance. This is where I think is a difference maker for us. And correct me if I'm wrong. But Lomachenko fighting as a southpaw, right, leading with his left hand behind, that's tough. This is a lefty. And Lopez is a righty, and he's fighting as an orthodox, so that's pretty much the normal stance in boxing. But fighting against southpaws and lefties, that's hard to do because you don't know. you got to protect the left or your right side of the body more so because that left hook can come quickly and fast, and if you're not paying attention, it can knock you out real quick. And I've taken a couple, I've taken a few punches from my best friend who's a southpaw, and he's a big guy, and I've got clocked pretty pretty nicely with that left hand. So it always tricks me with it. But um, but this fight reminds me more than anything, and you, you touched in on it loosely. Flores was Canelo. The, the age difference and Lopez being you know undefeated and Lomachenko having that one loss and the age gap and the fact that he's you know, 3,001 in his career fights as an amateur. That's huge. Uh, and to me, this reminds me of the the Canelo um, uh, money-making Floyd Mayweather fight, right? When, yeah, on paper it looked good. Yeah, they're both, you know, undefeated. And, and, and Canelo had the power and the strength, but his youth is what killed him because he hadn't been around so many fights as a pro. And I think this is where it hurts Lopez, right? He's only 23. He's yeah. only had 15 fights. It, remi- it smells like that fight. I don't think he should be fighting Lomachenko right now. Maybe in two more years, yes. But now is a little soon. I like Lopez. I like what I see. 
He's an American. I got to root for the homeboy. I just don't know if he's got everything that it takes to beat Lomachenko. I think pound for pound, Lomachenko is probably one of the greatest fighters, definitely of our generation or in current times, but maybe even of all time, with that astound, like outstanding record of 396 and 1 amateur. So I'm rooting for Lopez. I do want to see the upset, but I just think that he's too young in his career to be facing him. Look, pro rounds. This is a big difference. 131 for Lomachenko, 60 pro rounds for Lopez. That's almost, that's actually two and a half times almost. So I think the experience comes into play. I'm taking Lomachenko, but I will sprinkle a little bit on Lopez just in case of the upset. Although I think this, this fight will go to a decision uh, with Lomachenko getting the decision on this. Yeah, and really quickly, just to touch on some of the stuff you were talking about when especially when you mentioned that this might be definitely one of the greatest fighters of this generation and maybe of all time you can safely say that about this guy why because of his amateur record because here in america we're not taught to respect that but like i said in europe that matters just as much as the professional record and what you've done there because of how much money is in play with all that stuff and the stuff that this guy does in the ring, the, he passes the eye test, as they say. Mm-hmm. You've seen things that he does that nobody else has the audacity to do in a ring. Think like basketball, Jason Williams, white chocolate, some of the passes that he was doing, passing it off of his elbow in an all-star game, <laughs> doing some of the no-look passes that he does. Lomachenko has been known to do a move that not a lot of boxers are comfortable doing, where he comes with his right hand, granted, keep in mind he's southpaw, so his right hand is his front hand, and when you're up against the ropes, whatever it may be, you have your guard up, picture your hands in front of your face, and with his right hand, he lowers both of your hands, and with his left, he comes right behind it to the opening that he just created by lowering your hand. He knows he has the hand speed. He knows he has the ability because of he trains like nobody else. He trains mentally as much as he does physically. There's a lot of things that you've seen him do. One thing that a lot of people might know about him as well is his footwork. Everybody talks about Kobe Bryant having some of the greatest footwork, whatever it may be. Look, this guy's dad took him out of boxing at the age of like seven or nine years old and forced him to be a dancer for five years and didn't allow him to go back to boxing until he was 13, 14 years old. Why? So he could develop that footwork. He looks effortless in the ring, moving from side to side. He's one of the few boxers, especially because they're in the lighter weight classes. You can't really see a heavyweight boxer, a middleweight boxer necessarily having the lightness on their feet. They rely more, a lot more on their punches, things like that. But when you watch Lomachenko, his, it's, you have, you're standing there in awe, looking at him move from left to right. And the boxer all of a sudden moves their hands from in front of their eyes, trying to punch straight ahead. And all of a sudden Lomachenko's to their left or to their right, hitting them with a hook. It's amazing. And it's something to see, and that's why I'm glad this fight is happening now, because who knows if that footwork and that speed would still be there in two or three years for Lomachenko because of the wear and tear he has 
not just from the professional ranks, but also from the amateur ranks. So I'll be the first to tell you that um, I would put money on Lopez to win maybe like the first round or something like that, because I feel like when these younger guys come up and, and they face those top dogs, they come out, you know, they come out fast and they come out swinging. And uh, Loma, you know, as you get older and as you actually are good, you know, everything slows down for you. You know, everything slows down. You can, you know, you can work your game and you can do it. And I saw Lomachenko, Flores, you were there as well. I didn't even know you were there, but we were both there watching the Lomachenko fight um, at the Staples Center. And he knocked that guy out. I think it was a fourth round. I know it was early because I was a little upset that the, the match was already over, but um, 32 is not that old. I mean, everyone's like, oh, he's old, he's old, but it's not that old. It's, you know, it's still old, young enough to beat off a 23-year-old kid. Um, but if you're looking at, you know, an interesting bet to take, I would say that maybe Loma's losing the first couple of rounds. W wouldn't you agree? Real quick, Patrick, it is old, though, in boxing terms, right? 32, 30. That's why this guy has almost 400 fights amateur-wise, let alone probably like 600, maybe like 1,000 in his lifetime career, or in his life, I should say. So it is kind of old, but am I, am I wrong to say that for us at 32 for uh, boxing? It just, uh, you can't really say that anymore is what I would say about that especially somebody that hasn't taken the damage, which Lomachenko has not. You take the Manny Pacquiao, for instance. Manny Pacquiao is damn near 40 years old, and he's still at the top of his weight class, and you would favor him in, against just about anybody in probably the deepest division in boxing, the welterweight division. So nowadays... It's not like before where the training wasn't there, the mental aspect of it, the nutrition, all that stuff. And especially Lomachenko. Keep in mind, as much as there's wear and tear because of those 397 amateur fights, which he only lost one of, he still had headgear on for those fights. And the way that he fights, he's called the Matrix for a reason. Because <laughs> he doesn't get hit. And he doesn't get hit in the head. So he's never suffered a major injury. He still has all his wits to him as opposed to like, let's say a Muhammad Ali at 33, 34 years old. You could already see in some of his fights, the Parkinson setting in, dude. You, you see his fight against George Foreman, which he won uh, when he did the rope-a-dope and ended up knocking out George Foreman for probably Ali's biggest victory of his career. And man, you look closely and you're like, you can see the Parkinson's coming on. But with Lomachenko and with medicine nowadays and boxers, it just depends on the fighter. There are fighters that at 30 years old, they're shot to shit. A Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. comes to mind. But a Lomachenko that hasn't taken damage, hasn't taken hits, hasn't ever even come close to being knocked down on headshots. The one time he's been knocked down as a pro was because of a body shot, and it was a flash knockdown where he wasn't hurt at all. It's a little different. So... I, I don't think he's old by any means. What I was mentioning earlier is that in two to three years, he might start slowing down a little bit. So that's why I'm really glad that this fight is happening now because Telfimo at the same time had to jump on this because this is his paycheck. His big paycheck is big. Even if he goes to 12 with Vasily and showcases something, maybe knocks him down, 
he might lose the fight, you know, uh, 118 to, to 112, you know, really close, eight rounds to four, whatever it may be, he still might showcase himself very well for the future. So I'm glad this fight is happening now, and I'm just really excited because in two to three years, that's when we might be able to say Vasily's getting a little older. Well, we will find out in about three days from now. Thank you for that beautiful analysis, Flores. Um, it's safe to say that Andres and I believe in Lomachenko, and you think Lomachenko's going to win, but you think it's going to be a lot closer than everyone's saying, right? Yeah, especially with those odds. I mean, shit, I might drop a couple dollars just in case on Tell People. All right, Scumbag of the Night is coming up. So, Andres, you're back at it again with Dave Roberts, correct? Correct. Why does he continue to be your Scumbag of the Night? Why is he the one taking away your sports happiness? Why are you letting him get to you? Because it's the same story, different year, same outcome. Every fucking year. I've been a diehard Dodgers fan my whole life. We've won however many divisional championships, the West, you know, it's just, it's never ending. We win all these little minor trophies, but we can't win the big fish. It's fucking ridiculous. And again, a game one of the National League Championship Series, Tied 1-1. Tied 1-1 for till about the fifth. And Roberts brings in, starts playing manager, starts bringing in pitchers, which is great. Because Bueller, you know, did his job. Struck out seven, pitched 100. 64 of those pitches were strikes. He was tired. I get it. He had that blister. No big deal. Brings in Gratterall. Shuts down. Does all that. And uh, he pitched just six pitches, guys. Six. Gratterall. Five of them were strikes. Now, my thing is, he didn't give up any runs. Why isn't he just leaving him in for, again for the next season? I mean, the next inning. He's only thrown six pitches. So what does he do? He brings out Gratterall, brings in Dustin May, who pitches for an inning and two. Gives up a hit. Okay, no problem. Doesn't give up any runs. Okay, no big deal. But he still could have left in Gratterall, saved Dustin May for later on. Then he starts playing bullshit. And he brings in Gonzalez for one batter. Okay, great. Strike. Struck him out. Four pitches. Four of those pitches were strike. All four were strikes. Brings him out. Brings in Trinan. This guy is trash, dude. Not even an inning pitch. One out pitch, really. Three hits. Three earned runs. 20 pitches, 14 strikes. So the ERA is 81, guys. 80 fucking one. And then he brings in McGee, one hit, one earned run, and the game's out of contention. And it was this all happened in the ninth inning. If he wanted to play his cards right, left Gratterall in there. The guy was throwing fucking BBs for us, 100 miles an hour. Nobody was touching him. He, he should have allowed him to pitch three innings, right, till the eighth. Then Dustin May could have pitched to the ninth. And then he could have just said, hey, you know what, fuck it. We're going into extra innings, but no. He lost it in the ninth with all these stupid pitchers. It's just, I'm just tired of it, right? He has no business. It, 
bringing these pitchers in the seven amount. It affected tonight's game. He didn't have he didn't wasn't able to go to the bullpen sooner and bring in the bigger name that he had prior. Mm-hmm. So uh, and it's just it's just insane. So the you're you're talking about um, his his continued efforts with uh, musical chairs with the Dodgers bullpen and. I wanted to point out that he lives and dies by the statistics and the matchups and the lefties versus the righties. And tonight we had the tying run on third base and a right-handed pitcher was pitching for the Braves in Melanson and AJ Pollock coming up to bat a right-handed batter. And he has Edwin Rios on the bench at his disposal and he doesn't do the switch. Edwin Rios is a lefty. He doesn't do the switch for some reason. And the, the same switch that he probably would be doing in the middle of July or the middle of August, he doesn't do that tonight for some reason. And Pollock grounds out to end the game. So I'm with you on that. But it's just hard for me to completely hate him because he has got us to the World Series twice, something that the other managers couldn't do. So I know that you and Flores go back and forth every day about Dave Roberts. And um, to be honest, I still don't know where I stand on him. But my scumbag of the night, I'll be quick, and then we'll end it up with Flores. um, My scumbag of the night is the Tennessee Titans organization. Not Not because they got COVID and ruined a lot of scheduling with NFL. But because they played a game two nights that was postponed because of COVID and they still let fans in. I know the fans have no effect on the players getting COVID because they're so far from them, but it's just not a good look. I mean, just shut down the the entrance. Don't let people come in. It's just not a good look when your entire coaching staff caught COVID, players caught COVID. I don't know what more needs to happen for them to realize that they just got to chill out for one game. At least it's just, it just wasn't a good look. And that, that's my scumbag of the night, Flores. And with that, I think a lot of the, the reports that I've heard is that they, the Titans were also very lax with mask requirements, social distance requirements in practice, just, like a lot of people in our country that aren't taking it seriously and it came back to bite them in the ass at the end of the day, even though not necessarily on the scoreboard, but really quickly, really quickly to Andres's point, because I also heard something today where as a reliever, when you bring in somebody in a high leverage situation mid-inning and you ask them, get us out of this inning, it is really, really hard for that person, as the saying goes, the very vulgar saying, to blow their load and get you out of that inning by throwing those darts and those BDs and completely expel all their energy doing that and then have to come right back out the next inning and somehow muster up all that energy. I just think sometimes as fans, you guys sound like straight absolute homers, you know, dissecting every decision. They go one way, they go the other. If the guy makes a call and it actually goes wrong, you're actually talking shit about him for doing that. So 
I know this is something that we talk about back and forth on text messages aside from the show, but that's another interesting point that I did hear today by uh, one of the Dodgers reporters that, and the analysts on the radio also agreed with, that it's very hard for a pitcher to come in, get you out of a very tough situation, and then expect that same pitcher to come right back out the next inning and be just as dominant. Yes, these guys are professionals. But guess what? You're in the bullpen for a reason because you're a specialist. But anyway, Andres, I'll take your response off air via text messages if you have some, or you can talk after the, the my scumbag. My scumbag, it's a light scumbag. It's Eric Spolstra. After he lost the finals, he was being interviewed, and the guy was crying. <laughs> Look, man, you're not... Adam Morrison, a college athlete losing in the NCAA tournament to a team you were supposed to beat, crying on the floor. You are a leader of men. I get it. Everybody nowadays talks about, hey, that shows passion. That shows that you care. Can you guys ever imagine Greg Popovich crying after losing a finals? Can you ever picture in your mind Bill Belichick crying after losing a Super Bowl, Phil Jackson crying after losing an NBA championship. Come on, man. I get it. You're maybe not as elderly and as much of a veteran as those coaches I just mentioned. But you look just, it's a really bad look for you to be crying up there as a coach, as a leader of men because you lost an NBA championship that you were a huge underdog in and you also got embarrassed with. It's not like you lost it in game seven because the other team made a lucky shot and you were already expecting to win the title. Nobody in their right mind, nobody except Dwayne Wade expected your team to win this championship against the Lakers. What are you doing, dude? <laughs> yeah, I agree with you for sure, Flores. I mean, none of the greater, greatest coaches would ever cry. I don't give a shit new behind closed doors whenever in public like that. I mean, maybe Pat the Rat, it's time to start looking elsewhere to bring in a coach that's not going to cry when they lose the fucking finals game. Well, maybe, <laughs> I, I think maybe he was crying because he realized that that may have been his, you know, his ticket to his own legacy to prove that he can win without LeBron as a coach. Um, or maybe he was crying because he really felt bad for Jimmy Butler and the rest of the guys. But the point is, though, that you can't be crying like that. I mean, don't yeah, you're you're a coach, and but Andres, there's no way that they should replace him because he cried. That's fucked up to say. <laughs> <laughs> so we just wanted to um, thank you guys for listening um you know we really appreciate all of our listeners this was the 71st show i'm gonna cry right now because i'm just so touched that we've uh, made it this far but um if you follow us on instagram and facebook you can keep up with all of our picks all of our predictions we hope that you enjoyed the show we hope that you um listen next week and if you're gonna place any bets this weekend good luck